0: None of the other riders was a sports writer. Wagenheim had been a 37-year-old stringer for the New York Times, riding out of San Juan, Puerto Rico, when the plane-carrying Pittsburgh Pirates outfielder Roberto Clemente and relief supplies for earthquake victims in Nicaragua crashed while leaving the San Juan airport on New Year's Eve in 1972. He covered the immediate story of Clemente's death for the Times and in the aftermath was contacted to write a book. His hurried effort, Clementi, was a best seller. His publisher, pleased with the success, asked him to try another baseball biography. Wagenheim picked the Babe as his subject. Ken Sobel was a writer for the Village Voice. His agent called him, suggesting a Ruth book. Robert Smith, 69, was a novelist, but also gravitated toward baseball nonfiction. Reviewers had called his 1948 book, Baseball, the first true history of the game. The fifth writer, Marshall Smelser, was an academic. He was a historian, a member of the faculty at the University of Notre Dame. His most recent book was The Winning of Independence, The Tale of the American Revolution. Following baseball was one of his many hobbies. A large picture of the babe had graced his office door for years. He decided to merge vocation and avocation to write not a book for baseball people, but a baseball book for people. The title was The Life That Ruth Built. The five contenders followed separate but often overlapping tracks. Smith did little face-to-face interviewing, writing a book with the larger scope, a history of the period with the babe's life serving mostly as touchstone and timeline. The other writers contacted teammates, family, friends of the babe. Smelzer sent a mimeographed set of questions to the former Yankees teammates of Ruth who were still alive. Sobel, looking for some negative voices, found them in the wives of former teammates. Kramer, after a lot of work, finally convinced former pitcher Wade Hoyt, Ruth's teammate on both the Yankees and Red Sox, to talk for three days in Florida about the babe. Wagenheim found great help from former sports writers who had covered the Yankees. Everyone rolled through miles of microfilm in his local library. Four of the books appeared in the immediate glow of Aaron's achievement on April 8, 1974, his 715th career home run off Al Downing at Atlanta's Fulton County Coliseum. Creamer's 443 page effort was the acknowledged winner. Its publication was preceded by a three-part series of excerpts in S.I., and the magazine's reviewer called it the best biography ever written about an American sports figure. The books by Wagenheim, Sobel, and Smith, each of them solid and taking a different tack on the babe's life, were mostly lost or disregarded in the backwash of the praise for Creamer's biography. In a few cases, one or two of the other works were compared to Creamer's effort. Sometimes favorably, often not, but mostly the books weren't reviewed at all. Smelzer's biography did not appear until 1975. It was, as promised, a fat and scholarly book, 592 pages filled with footnotes. It was mostly well-reviewed, but the marketplace moment had passed. Oddly, the book became a favorite of baseball people, but not people. Too many writers had tackled the same subject at the same time. It was all in education about the publishing industry, Wagenheim, who never has written another sports book, says. In the middle of everything, you had Watergate and all the books that came out of that. I remember calling my publishers after I learned that other books were being written about the babe. I was thinking they would arrange some big public relations campaign. What they did, immediately, was cut back the press run. None of the books, not even Creamer's, made the bestseller lists. More than thirty years have passed since this biographical rush in 1974. The images of Aaron breaking the record now seem dated. The uniforms just not right, the hairstyles odd, the film of the moment grainy and amateurish when played on a high-definition screen. Aaron's feat has been assimilated into the history of the game with the same quiet grace with which it was accomplished. The babe remains remarkably vibrant. He probably is even more popular now than he was when the five books were published. The long ball approach to baseball that he single handedly brought to the sport now dominates it. The parks are built for home runs. The players are built for home runs. A cavalcade of home runs is shown every night on ESPN's Sports Center and Baseball Tonight. Baseball's hitting off foul poles and facades, landing in the Pacific Ocean, dropping into packed crowds of spectators who spill their $7 beers and lose their designer team caps in happy pursuit. Threaded through all of this, however, are the drumbeat questions about steroids, about what is real and what isn't, about cheating. The biggest names, the record-breakers like Mark Maguire and Sammy Sosa and Barry Bonds, are surrounded by suspicion. Were their feats concocted in laboratories as much as performed on the diamond? Who took what and when? What exactly was the clear? A skepticism, a lack of full acceptance, taints their accomplishments. At the least, these were men who used as much legal modern science as possible to enable them to hit a baseball a long way. They weren't walk-off-the-street human beings. At the worst, they cheated, injecting and ingesting illegal substances to make their bodies stronger. The complications of it all, and the complications certain to arrive in the future with genetic engineering and other medical advances and God knows what, make a look back at Babe Ruth ever more inviting. Steroids hadn't been invented when he did what he did. Beer and scotch and hot dogs were his nutritional supplements of choice. He is seen as a big and natural man who did big things that are part of our culture now, each passing year oddly making their distant glow a little brighter. The Babe never sat in front of a congressional hearing trying to explain himself. He sat in front of magistrates, describing why yet another car flipped while he was behind the wheel on yet another rainy night. This book is an attempt to tell the story again for the sports center generation, to bring back the supposed-to-be uncomplicated in the time of the complicated. The approach is not so much to tear down the myths that grew around George Herman Ruth as to explain how and why they developed in the time in which he lived. Why did an entire country fall in love, go gaga over him? Why was this one man so good, so much better than his contemporaries? That is a question accusingly asked in our time of steroids, and it can be asked about the babe, too. The answers are surprising and attack the well-constructed image of him as the totally self-indulgent fatso. The authors of the 1974 biographies have been very kind. The old men they found across the country are all dead now, but they still talk in the research that these writers accumulated. Robert Kramer provided six boxes of material from Babe, The Legend Comes to Life. Cal Wagenheim provided tapes that he made with a bulky first-generation recorder. Marshall Smelzer, who died a year after the publication of The Game That Ruth Built, left all his materials to the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, which also supplied tapes from other researchers. Ken Sobel wanted to provide words, but, alas, said, I've moved 17 times since that book. I have no idea where everything went. Another wonderful book, No Cheering in the Press Box by Jerome Holtzman, also appeared in 1974. It is a collection of oral history interviews of sports writers from the 20s and 30s, men who dealt often with Ruth. Holtzman, now the historian for Major League Baseball, noted in his opening that the interviews were conducted over a three-year period and totaled over 900,000 words of transcript, of which approximately 10% were used in the book. Did he still have those original transcripts? Yes, he did. They arrived in a large cardboard UPS box. Again, dead men talked, telling colorful tales. Holtzman, an authority on baseball literature, says that 27 books have been written on Ruth, the most for anyone who played the game. Jackie Robinson is second at 25. Many of those books have been written since 1974, notably My Dad the Babe and Young Babe Ruth and Babe Ruth and the 1918 Red Sox, and have further filled out the picture of the man. In addition, numerous scholarly papers and articles have been written about the Babe, especially by members of Sabre, the Society for American Baseball Research. A symposium on his life and career was held at Hofstra University in 19...